I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Buongiorno, buon pomeriggio, buonasera. Oh dear, I messed all that up. Buonasera and buonanotte. That covers all the times. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to Wild Wild Podcast. Uh, I'm, Ad- I'm Adrian Smith, and I can't talk for some reason. Um, but luckily, I have with me the man of a thousand podcasts who can speak for both of us. It's Rodney Barnett. Uh, hello, I don't know about a thousand, but uh, quite a few, oh, it must yes. Be. <laughs> it must be. Um, the re- I, I think I like that. Somebody, I finally checked our emails, and we had a few, oh. and somebody somebody refers to you as the man of a thousand podcasts. Um, <laughs> or no, wait, that, that no, actually, that might not have been in one of the emails. This week, the, um, the Blu-ray that we've been talking about a few times on the podcast, The Sex of Angels, has mm-hmm. finally uh, finally been arriving after a long delay with delivery and people getting furious on Facebook that their orders hadn't turned up. They finally showed up. So I think it was actually somebody on Facebook called you the man of a thousand podcasts, uh, referring to our commentary track. But I'm going to keep it and use it. I think it's good. <laughs> so um oh my goodness yeah so that's out now finally and people are going to get to hear that which is exciting um the availability of that disc is a bit tricky at the moment and i am well aware of the postage costs uh i believe elia is posting them out individually from rome or from italy i think he's in rome um i think eventually it will be stocked with people like diabolic uh in america hopefully which will make it a bit more accessible but but people have ordered it and um yeah so it's a fun film we've talked about it on here before and i really hope that people enjoy discovering that uh little gem of a movie yeah it's really a bit of a hidden film in um Mm. in exploitation history italian uh, italian uh cinema has kind of done its best to uh yeah kind of erase yeah it's very strange (laughs) Yeah. Now, speaking of commentaries, it seems like not a day can go past without another disc being announced that has Rod on it. 
Oh, and oh, yeah. uh, this, since we last recorded, Rod, something very exciting has been announced, which I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about. Um, last year, you appeared on the Arrow box set. I believe it was, was it like Gothic Fantastica, Fantastico, something like that. Right. Um, and now Severin are doing a very similar thing with their box set, Danza Macabra, mm-hmm. Volume One. I like how they've called it Volume One. So, and I listen to their podcast, and they've got at least three planned at the moment, I believe. But this is Danza Macabra, the Italian Gothic collection. Now, first of all, I have to say that when I heard it was called Danza Macabra, I naturally got my hopes up. But Danza Macabra, aka Castle of Blood, is not on the set. So they've teasingly given it the name of a film that they're not putting out. But you never know, maybe in a future volume. Well, I, I, I'm aware of uh, the contents, or at least some of the contents, of uh, a possible second, well, the, a definite second volume. Uh, right. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a thrilling thing to finally be getting a lot of these movies in nice special mm. editions over here. It's just, it's, it's long overdue, I have to say. Yeah, and so this set, so like the Arrow set, which was produced by Kat Ellinger, this one is also being produced by Kat Ellinger, so mm-hmm. Severin have kind of brought her in to do a similar thing for them. So tell us about the, well, tell, can you tell us the films and your involvement with this set? Uh, this first set is going to have four uh, four films, and I have to admit, one of them is one I have never seen before, so I'm extraordinarily excited about that one. But mm-hmm. the, the big ones, the ones that are uh, more commonly known, uh, and uh, let's just say there was a fantastic version of one of them that came out in England a few years ago, but it's nice yep. to have a, an American upgrade. That would be Lady Frankenstein, yeah. which... Is just an astonishing film, and the the raft of extras they've produced for that, uh, I mm. cannot wait to dig into. Two commentary tracks, <laughs> several featurettes, yeah. uh, just oh man, I cannot I cannot wait. Uh, even a even a German TV documentary about right. uh, about the film. This yeah, is and, uh, and of course you and I did a podcast on this one about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Fantastic film, yeah, just an incredible movie. Um, also, uh, the the set includes the Monster of the Opera from '64, which mm. is a kind of an absolutely fascinating film and one that I think, um, although known, not as well known as Lady Frankenstein. Yeah, because um, isn't it? It's like a semi sequel or a thematic sequel to uh, the Vampire and the Ballerina. I yeah, think it's yeah. like connected to that now i do know that malombra film so the which you know basically elia who's just put who's just done the sex of angels his next film was going to be the monster of the opera so i'm not entirely sure because i know he was involved in getting the restoration done whether this is that restoration or i don't know what's happened there but he was this was going to be the next movie for him potentially so i don't yeah i don't that's know. quite quite interesting that it's suddenly been announced over here so maybe because he'd got the restoration going in rome for that film that's what's um that's how it's got on severin's radar perhaps but yeah i've never seen the monster of the opera so um that does sound like a fun one and then, then, so two more. Tell us about those. Uh, well, the one that I know absolutely nothing about because I've never seen it is the Seventh Grave from 1965. Mm. Uh, when you read the description of it, it becomes one of those things where you're uh, a little shocked that you haven't seen it because it, it does seem to be kind of a, a variation on the old classic Cat in the Canary idea. Yes. Let me just read from the website here. Um, it says, "Yeah, Cat in the Canary." 
mixed with odd dollops of mad doctors, escaped lepers, giallo-style killings, and one of the most strikingly original seance sequences in the entire genre. Now, when I first read that, I thought I read that as dance sequence rather than seance sequence. But <laughs> I mean, either, either would have been fine. But I know this is a film that's only ever really been available through sort of bootleg copies from presumably Italian TV or something. So, yeah, it's never had a, any kind of half-decent release. So, yeah, it's a quite... I mean, I'd never even heard of it, to be honest. Oh, yeah, I, I, I was unaware of it completely, so I'm very excited mm. about that one. It'll probably be the first, that'll probably be the first one of the set that I crack open and watch. Yeah, well, which leaves us with the final film, which is your your starring moment. Uh, well, you know, I believe me, the film is well worth more than uh, having me babble about it, but Scream of the Demon Lover from 1970 is an astonishing piece of work and one that I've been in love with for decades. I, I you know, it's just like all the other films of this type that I've ever seen, I originally caught up with them via bootleg VHS from way back. But uh, yes, I, uh, I was asked to contribute a commentary track to this film. Uh, so I teamed up with uh, Robert Monell and we sat down and did a commentary track where we run through this movie, hopefully giving a fair amount of information about it as we go along. And uh, that's, uh, it's, it's just amazing. I was thrilled to learn that they actually have a brand new interview with the lead actress of the film, Erna Schurer, who really is the, the the center of Scream of the Demon Lover. She's her performance is excellent, and it's just it's just it's wonderful to know that they were able to talk to her and get her on the record about this. This is uh, mm. this is great. I mean, the extras packed onto this entire set are insane. I'm I'm very excited about this, and like 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 you said, man, if they're going to be two or three more, uh, yeah, bring it on. I mean, I really hope that because they've called it Danza Macabre, that means they are going to get Castle of Blood because I know that's getting um, it's getting a full 4K restoration in, uh, by a French company that oh. I've been in con- I've been in contact with, and they in fact they they used something that I'd written about the film for their uh, one of their recent newsletters. So I know it's getting a proper restoration. So perhaps we can hope. Um, but anyway, Scream of the Demon Lover. So is this the film? Where when they sent you the the restored element, you identified that there was a load of stuff missing. Nope, that's another film entirely. Oh, okay. Is that one? Is that another one that's not been announced yet? Or was that? Uh, yes, that is that is another one that has not been announced. Oh, okay. Yet, wow. So All right. Is that for the second volume? Are we able to say that much? I do not know. <laughs> I don't know oh, okay. how these things are going to shake out. They until until uh, until official announcements are made. Uh, not only can fair I enough. not say anything, I don't know. So yeah, fair enough. It's funny how long these things take. I was interviewed two years ago for a feature-length documentary that was supposed to be on a Severin release, and it still hasn't been announced. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. And like they came to my house and filmed me, and I, you know, by the time it comes out, I'm going to watch it and think, "Oh, wasn't I young?" Look at that! Look at my look at my hair color in that documentary. This, this is before I gave up on life. Look, I still yeah. have hope. You can see the hope in my eyes. I know. <laughs> but seriously, it's like been been about two years, and it still hasn't been announced. It's amazing how long. Well, you know, as these things can just take a long time, particularly if they're trying to get film elements and yeah, blah, blah blah. Definitely. Well, this is a very uh, exciting development for everyone who loves gothic horror which is of course all of us i would imagine so so. this comes out in end of may 
Um, I will probably be giving it about a year and a half and then getting it in one of their uh, Black Friday sales. <laughs> because much as I'm very keen to have these, I know I've still got box sets I bought three years ago that I haven't watched yet. So I can wait a little bit. But um, no, I'm very excited to see if, there, if this is going to be a whole line of films then that's really cool because there are so many i love the italian gothics and yeah there are like just hundreds that could go into something like this so it's uh, it's a very exciting announcement yeah really cool well congratulations on your involvement with that uh my once again my involvement is very small in comparison i'm just happy to be uh, asked to come along and, and help mm. out yeah well very good um, well, I think that's all the all the news I've got. Oh yeah, I just wanted to mention I've just listened to your episode on the Machiste films episode of the Bloody Pit. Oh yeah, and I did tweet the link out for that as well. But if anyone is listening who hasn't heard that yet, do you want to tell us a little bit about that episode? Oh well, uh, Mark Maddox and I uh, decided to talk about a couple of the uh, recent Blu-ray releases of uh, two Machiste films. Uh, the uh, we talk a little bit about how you know that that run of movies that uh, that were made in the '60s that are kind of a mystery to Americans who were were introduced to them in various dubbed fashions, where Machiste's name was usually changed to either Samson or Hercules or something. And uh, they, these two movies are no no different in that respect. But now, of course, we have gorgeous widescreen, you know, high definition prints. With the uh, with the ability to see it in the uh, the Italian original with subtitles as well as often the uh, the dubs are popped up there as well, but it's a real joy to finally see some of these incredible sword and sandal films getting releases that they, in my opinion, have deserved for a long period of time. So mm-hmm. Maddox and I talked about um, uh, Son of Samson, which of course is. A very different title from the yeah. Was title. that one? Was it Machiste in the Valley of the Kings? Was that that one? Uh, yes, if memory serves. Yeah. Now I'm going to get them mixed up as I, yeah, as I look back at this. Of course, it's very easy to. Uh, yes, it is. When I discovered that there were actually 25 Machiste films made in the 1960s, mm. um, you know, the, the, it, when you do the research on that character and the, the fact that he really is kind of a, a timeless character who essentially yeah. pops up anywhere, any time period, any time, you know, it, it certainly answered a lot of strange questions that I had forever, yeah. which goes back to me first spotting uh, the character being called Machiste in a film in which he, you know, this uh, this Italian muscle man pops up in Scotland. So you know, yes, Machiste, uh, um, Alain Inferno, mm-hmm. Machiste, Machiste in Hell, or the Witch's Curse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a great one. I've got um, I've got a poster for that one somewhere. Which oh I wow, put, really? Yeah, because yeah, I, I need to put it up. Yeah, it's the, really the, cool. The poster art for for those films are all, are almost you know nine times out of ten mind bendingly wonderful, just yeah. gorgeous pieces of artwork that that really give you a sense of the the grandeur and wonder that these films are attempting to put on mm. screen. It's it's great stuff. Mm. And there's about um, I mean nobody I don't think anybody is will agree on an exact figure, but some people reckon there was about six hundred peplum films. Oh, there's no uh, telling. You know, in just in that sort of seven, eight year period. So yeah, there are so many. You could never watch them all, but they are great fun. Uh, well, I have a couple of reference books that probably do a good job of nailing mm. down how many of them there were. But the problem you run into 
are alternate titles confusing yeah. everything under the sun. So And also dis- defining whether you're just talking about the mythological films yeah. or if you're going to include the kind of adventure films. Um, you know, is The Golden Arrow by Antonio Margariti a peplum or is it an Arabian Nights adventure movie? Did the Robin Hood films count? Like, the yeah. people have different ideas of what peplum includes. And and it, and it does get down to, in some cases, honestly, just personal taste. But at the yeah. same time, I really kind of love all of those kinds of movies, all those event, adventure films made uh, in, in that period. Uh, I, I, I have a dream of one day being able to do a really in-depth look, uh, multiple podcast episodes covering uh, uh, Italian Robin Hood films and just European Robin Hood films in general. Essentially I mean, kind of... That sounds like a mini season for this podcast. Oh, oh yeah, well there there is that as a possibility. I mean they're 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 not the easiest films to get your hands on. You're pretty much right. going to be dealing with bootlegs every time. Mm-hmm. But at the, uh, at the same time, you also have to realize that just because Robin Hood is in a title doesn't mean it has anything at all to do with yeah. with Robin Hood. They'll they'll toss that uh, that yeah. name into a title just to kind of enhance it or or to give you an idea of the the content with in or just to fool you into thinking you're getting a Robin Hood film when actually it's, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, a karate movie or possibly a spaghetti <laughs> western. Who the hell knows? Excellent. And uh, I just also, in a moment of synchronicity, I just did a podcast for, with um, Cult Connections, which is a very prolific uh, podcast. Um, and we talked about three Peplum films. So mm. one one more than you, not that it's a competition. But, um, <laughs> but you won, so there. But we did three, and I'm trying to remember what they all were. I think we did Samson and uh, Hercules, the, the the first one, mm-hmm. and I've already forgotten uh, the other one. But anyway, that was quite. So you can find that if anybody wants to hear that as well. Cult connections, but yeah, I mean, I they're such great. Uh, great entertainment those those peplum films well i will say this about the peplum films the the sword and sandal stuff any of that stuff when you're in when, at least for me when i'm in the mood for that nothing else will do i, I yep. don't know what it is i think it, it, it a part of it is just having seen some of them when i was a when i was a kid and therefore there's it tickles a particular uh nostalgia bone in me somewhere or another so yeah. it's uh it, it they if if you like them you like them but a lot of people just kind of look at look at them and wonder what in hell happened to people in the 1960s. Yeah. Well, they're um, wrong. <laughs> what can we say? <laughs> but speaking of, here's, here's a segue. Speaking of uh, mythological films, um, those films often featured... Uh, Roman mythology and Roman scenes as well as uh, Hercules and all those guys uh, and of course the Romans frequently uh, it, sorry I'm, I'm getting myself lost in my own segue the, the uh, Roman <laughs> Roman films frequently feature sequences with gladiators ah. which which I know it's terrible it's torture. Wondered, wondered where you were going with that <laughs> which brings us to this week's film in our post-apocalypse uh, journey and we are going to talk about 2020 Texas Gladiators uh, 
So, um, 2020 Texas Gladiators, or I Gladiatori del Futuro, Gladiators of the Future. Mm -hmm. So, my first question is, did you spot any gladiators in this film? Uh, only in the broadest sense of the term. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, um, I, I kind of, I can, I can kind of respect the titling, uh, <laughs> in, in a number of ways. One, uh, the, from what, from my memory now, it was only three years ago, but 2020 seems like it was much rougher in reality than in this film, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I mean, uh, we were all, I don't know about you, but I, we were all dressed like this in 2020 over here, you know, two weeks well, of lock, two weeks of lockdown and we'd all gone full Mad Max. Yeah, that that was one of the strange the strange bits of 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 versimilitude. I was stunned yeah. by the idea that I was like, I don't know about anyone else, but you know, these people in this film don't look like they're bathing very often, and yet bathing is what we did constantly during twenty twenty. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but I, I do have a lot. I, I have to say the. Um, gladiator aspect of it it really only i mean you have to you take you have to take a broad kind of five thousand mm. foot level view to to yeah. to, to, to what give is them a the, gladiator yeah I, I, and i would say that those characters those sort of hero characters at the beginning of the film fit it to a degree because they are kind of a roving band of uh of uh violent warriors Taking on you know scumbags and bad guys, and that is uh, that 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 yeah. is a nice way to look at it. But yeah, yeah, it's a very broad yeah. term. They're to not use. really yeah, not really gladiators. But we are in Texas, and my other question with no, this no, title, by the way, wait, we're not. What? We're we're definitely not in Texas. Oh. <laughs> we're well, trying to pretend that we are. Yeah, we're not, I mean, yeah. there are there's cowboys and Indians. So uh, there's that. Yeah. Um, but what's also funny with this is 2020. Um, which bit of the film is 2020? Does that mean the first scene is a prologue and then the rest of the film is in 20? Because like, there's a five or six year jump. Right. And so I wasn't sure. I, I have to say that one of the <laughs> one of the flaws of this film and one of the flaws that uh, of this film that I cannot actually come up with a good uh, defense of is that uh, the, the time jumps, the mm. sometimes multiple year time jumps are yeah. very poorly spelled out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in in the first one, you kind of have to be paying attention because at first, on my rewatch here, this is the first time I've seen this movie in a good long while. I at first thought that uh, when we do this time jump, uh, and we see uh, Al, good old Al Cliver working, you know, work, working yeah. on these uh, gas works, these pumps and things, I thought. Did you think Wait, it was someone else? No, I thought it was a flashback. Oh, I see. Yeah, I know. I will, we'll get to that. It's really funny. We'll get to that. But let's just quickly go into the background of this film. So um, this, as we spoke about, we spoke about the great Luigi Montefiore uh -huh. last week. And here he is again. He wrote this one. There are so many different English names in the credits for this film. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Them. Every every everyone's name. Everyone's name was anglicized ridiculously. Yeah. Yeah, so George Eastman wrote this, and then originally this was a project for him to direct as well. And I mm -hmm. believe, according to the the book that I'm using, After the World Ends, he did direct for the first few days, but he was getting a bit overwhelmed. So he called in his friend Joe D'Amato to oh, take over. So, I mean, you could say that might partly explain why it's a bit of a mess. <laughs> I don't know. like, uh, But... You know who knows the credit. The credited director is uh, Kevin Mancuso. Oh, 
that great, who is, who is uh, someone who does not exist. That great director. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think um, I think George Eastman has a different name in the credits as well. But anyway, yeah, Kevin Mancuso. So, yeah, so this is a George Eastman jam with Joe D'Amato helping out. It's a shame that there's no decent print of this. The only available print that I can find is from a VHS recording. There is uh, yeah. There are a couple of versions of that on YouTube. Uh, when they're all cropped to four three, and you can imagine if this was, if this was directed by Joe D'Amato, it's probably going to look good, because obviously his cinematography background, he was a great cinematographer, so it probably looks pretty good. But it's not that easy to tell with the composition because it's been, all been cropped. Which yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here and just flat out say that I think that this is a film that is, um, it is ready for rediscovery mm. because it has. Let me put it. Let me put it in in terms that won't make me sound like a total lunatic. Um, one, it will be a film that would be making a leap from VHS to probably Blu-ray is what yeah. you know, is, is what I'm saying. So that 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 is always a, a thing of interest if a movie has managed to skip completely a valid DVD release, which mm-hmm. is very you know it's very rare for exploitation films of this type. Mm. But um, it's also one that has so many points of interest. Uh, you yeah. know, it, it has all of the the requisite exploitation bits and pieces. It has, uh, you know, lots of violence. I mean, like, lots of action, lots of violence, mm. lot, you know, a fair amount of nudity. It's got a nasty streak. It's got all of the pieces and things that you would expect a, a fan of this particular type of film to look for in one of these things. And mm-hmm. it's also underseen. It's yeah. it's it, and, and, and without uh, ever having had a decent uh, video release of any type, this is this is one that I think would fit right alongside other films of this type in a nice four film box set. He said, hinting to the to the video uh, release gods out there. Yeah, Please. it's a shame when Severin did their um, their triple bill of Blu-rays that this wasn't thrown in as well. Um, cause yeah, it does look, it looks good. It's got a good cast, good looking cast as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, uh, cinematography was by Joe D'Amato under the name of John Larson. And I have just found George Eastman's writing credit is under the name Alex Carver. So not even George Eastman. So he's like, he, Luigi Montefiore, AKA George Eastman, but even that wasn't, that was too close. So he's... <laughs> He's added another layer of fake names into the thing, which is. I'm 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 reminded of how many fake names Jess Franco hid behind as he was That's producing true. so many so many films over the years. Yeah. He was just grabbing grabbing names from fiction and throwing them mm. up on the screen to pretend that he was you know somebody else. Yeah. Now is this our first Joe D'Amato film on the podcast? I think it might um, be. Well, I mean, he did have a bit a, a bit part in. Um, uh, our last movie, uh, kind of an uncredited role in our last film. Joe, hang on, Joe, Joe D'Amato. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said George Eastman. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. George Eastman was there. Oh, but no, but with Joe oh, no, D'Amato. In terms of Joe D'Amato, he's all over maybe, Italian. This yeah, may be our Italian. first. Yeah. I don't know that we have talked about Joe D'Amato mm. before. Uh, he yeah. is one of those names who, even, even fr- friends of mine who uh, love this kind of cinema, uh, they ha- they they're a hard sell on Joe D'Amato, and I can understand why. I mean, he yeah. you, you can more often than not, if you go down the rabbit hole with him, end up watching just 
porno Unconscious. film after porno <laughs> film and realize, why am I wasting my freaking time here? But yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Aristide Masachessi, um, which was the name he used primarily when he was um, doing cinematography, and he, he was cinematographer on a lot of a lot of movies, like nearly mm-hmm. 200 films as um, cinematographer. Um, I'm just trying to find some examples of that that we might be able to mention. Oh, as a cinematographer? There's yeah. A, yeah, there's a, there's a long list of credits that he worked Loads on. and loads and loads. Um, like lots of westerns and all kinds of... Well, I mean, he shot uh, A Quiet Place to Kill from Bird Oh, yeah, Lindsay. yeah, yeah. That's it. Well spotted. Uh, he also shot What Have You Done to Solange, a film that we've talked about here on this show. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, and uh, he was on Hercules in the Haunted World mm-hmm. yes, way back when. Um, but it's as, as, as a director that we best know him as uh, Joe D'Amato. And like you said, there are just so many. And he's done some really good ones, but then it starts to um, get kind of worse and worse <laughs> as he gets well, into I the mean, 90s. It, it, I, 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 would, I, I, would, uh, def- I would be able to defend arguing that uh, it, get, it gets better and better because it well, depends on what you're looking for in a really I mean, weird Yeah, way. that's true. I mean, it's, obviously... Uh, you did the sort of black Emmanuel films, um, yeah. of which I have seen Emmanuel in America. I think that's oh, well. one of those I've seen. That one, which I, was very good, actually. <laughs> Quite it's, disturbing. It's, it's, it's a disturbing film, yes, yeah. it is. I did also, I've seen Beyond the Darkness. I actually wrote the Blu-ray booklet for that, for the UK release a few years ago. Fascinating um, film. Fascinating yeah, which film. I, I think I can I can now confess because it's been about six years that I had never seen Beyond the Darkness before I wrote that. <laughs> oh wow! You had to sit um, down, sit down, absorb the film, and then write about it. Wow! No, my confession goes even further. I didn't see the film until after I'd written it. What uh, kind of psycho are you? <laughs> I wrote that. I wrote a booklet about the UK censorship of Joe D'Amato. Oh, so okay. I was looking at that film and Anthropophagus. And mainly his kind of 80s video nasty films. Oh, and so I, I wrote about the kind of UK uh, reaction to those rather than specifically that movie. But it's a, it's a very interesting film. Um, I've also, I'm a fan of Ator the Fighting Eagle. I am too. We may be one of, we, we, yeah. we may be part of a very small club on that. I one. did actually guest on the B Movie Cast maybe about three years ago <laughs> talking about Ator. Although I haven't watched any of the sequels. Um, yeah, no. There's a few there, of those. I, I I enjoy the sequels as well. The third one is completely insane. It was not directed oh. by Joe D'Amato, okay. and it almost feels like uh, the third one feels kind of like, um, oh, how to put it? Um, the third one feels like we're talking about a uh, a uh, a a. A napkin-sized screenplay <laughs> concept being mm. brought to life with very little in the way of cash, but being done in such a way that if you get on its if you get on its wavelength, it kind of becomes mesmerizing because it's okay. just it, it's just ignoring the kind of uh, it's called it basically generally known as Iron Warrior, and it's actually available oh, on yeah. um, on Blu-ray over mm. here in the states anyway. And it was a, it was directed by a, a director who I usually usually have a lot of trouble with Alf, uh, Alfonso Brescia, uh, but it it's I don't know I've kind of I kind of fell in love with it because it is such a strange mm-hmm. sketch of a film that it just kind of 
you know, you, you would you will have an action set piece that tells part of the story, and then the idea is that they the characters need to travel to another place. So instead of having all of the footage or any even an attempt at making footage that would convince you that these people then take time to travel to another place, we just have some fog or, or mist cover the screen and then we're there. <laughs> all right. It's, and it's it becomes this thing where as soon as you realize what they're doing, it kind of is mesmerizing. And right. I may be the only human being in the world no. who wants to stand up and defend Iron Warrior, but boy, are we off track because yes. Yamato had nothing to do with it. So no, I, mean, I like the first one. There's a great sequence where Ator has to fight his own shadow, and like it's just so basic, but uh-huh. but Joe D'Amato's cinematography experience kind of makes it work. And it was around that time when I think um, Laura Gemser uh, stopped doing the films and started being his, uh, started doing the costuming for him. And then spent the rest of her career making costumes for films instead of taking her clothes off. Um, Which she'd done a lot for him. I did also watch Caligula, The Untold Story, which um, was interesting. But it was. I, not, I, I found it fascinating. But. Yeah, it was okay. It was. I'm glad I saw it, but it was not a film I felt that I would ever watch again. <laughs> I can understand your. Th- I, I can yeah. understand your thinking there. Yes. But it was, yeah, it was very interesting. So, just such a, a varied director. There, you know, there could be a pod. Somebody somewhere could do a Joe D'Amato podcast and just talk about him every episode. Oh, so my much. goodness, yes. Because once you start getting so into much. the films that he uh, produced. Mm-hmm. For other people, when you start talking about like the, especially the filmerage films, mm-hmm. uh, he he was producing horror films uh, for for other directors usually, and sometimes stepping in to help out in in various productions. Yeah, man, don't get me wrong; they're they're not the greatest horror films in the world, but you can't take your eyes off of them most yeah. of the time. Yeah, yeah, really interesting guy, very busy, always working right up until he died. Mm-hmm. Um, at quite a young age, really. Yeah, he really did pass away far too soon. Yeah. On the um, Emmanuel in America Blu-ray, there's a really good kind of hour-long interview with him that I watched uh, a couple of years ago, I guess. Uh, yeah, fascinating guy. Anyway, so that's Joe D'Amato covered, and George Eastman we know all about. Um, anyone in the cast that you want to mention? Al Cliver, obviously, as uh, Nexus I, or I, Nissus. Yeah, I want to... I want to talk about a, a few of these folks. First of all, Al Cliver, uh, it was hilarious. I, I did, unfortunately, make my dear Beth watch this film with me. Um, you know, for, forewarned, forewarned her that, you know, uh, what it was beforehand. But uh, so as the film starts, Al Cliver kind of stands out because he, he he's, a, he's a good looking man. He's blonde. He's very much the... Uh, he's very much the big, beefy, masculine guy who's yeah. uh, who comes off as uh, a truly good guy in the movie. Yeah. And uh, she, I said, I said, I mentioned his name at one point, and and I said, oh, by the way, uh, I don't remember how this film goes, but Al Cliver usually plays good guys who do not make it to the end credits. So oh, right. <laughs> just hang on there. Fair enough. Yeah, and, I mean, I'm I'm used to him being a, the films that I've seen him in. He's always been a bit of a sad sack. Like I haven't seen that many of his movies, but I did just recently watch Demonia, mm-hmm. where he just plays a kind of depressed alcoholic. Yeah. Um, and I think even in Endgame, which we're going to cover very shortly, his character's quite depressed in that as well. So I was, I was quite surprised. And even I think he's more of a hero in Zombie Flesh Eaters, which I have seen. 
But um, yeah, in this film, I was like, oh, he's going to be the hero and the romantic lead. I was quite pleased because I'm just used to him being a bit miserable. <laughs> well, the, the amazing thing is he's he's still alive, and we should say his real name, uh, Per Luigi Conti. Yeah, I would go with that. And of course, uh, he um, but he retired. He just sort of stopped mm-hmm. about thirty years ago. But uh, I guess the zombie flesh eaters royalties just keep rolling in. <laughs> who know? Who knows? Is if if he is comfortable in retirement, so much the better. Mm. He's done enough. He's done enough to entertain me over the years yeah. to uh, to earn uh, my goodwill and any money that I could send him as well. I mean, my goodness, uh, this this was a man who was in the Beyond and and mm. uh, and uh, Zombie and uh, oh my goodness, how so, so many? It, it, well, Murder Rock, which is a film that I I have a lot of time <laughs> for, but uh, other yeah. people other other people mirror but yeah I, he's he's a, he's a welcome addition to any film and it's, mm. it's and he's like i said there's just something about him once you've seen him on screen he really does kind of stand out and not just because he's blonde but because he's actually pretty good on screen he really yeah. is so as you mentioned he is the leader of a gang who i guess if we're being generous we'll call gladiators and um the opening sequence i don't want to I, don't, I think this is a film where, because people may not have seen it so much, I don't want to give so much of the plot away. Oh, okay. So we can just kind of have a general description of some of our favourite bits, but I don't want... Because there are some genuine sort of twists and turns that I didn't see coming, and like you mentioned, the kind of time slip thing is sort of interesting. Um, so w- before I just launch into this plot summary from the book, if you, is there anyone else in the cast that you that's sort of struck out to you that you wanted to mention oh well just briefly they're mostly uh, quite um they're relatively obscure we have got another connection to atoll although i wondered if you wanted to if you'd notice that um we may be on the same page before we get there let's mention peter hooten oh okay who's the, the american actor who uh who once you've seen him you 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 probably might remember him as well he was he was in a lot of american television in the 70s and uh, of course, had a nice a nice role in the uh, the original Inglorious Bastards in seventy eight. Oh, yeah. um, famously, he was the first on screen Doctor Strange in a TV movie back in seventy eight. <laughs> uh, I recommend watching that movie and being altered with booze or uh, some other substance if possible beforehand, because it's fun. But uh, man, Doctor Strange, it's a uh, it's it's a uh, strange. It's not what you expect. Let's okay. just say that, especially yeah. not these days. Um, but he's an actor who uh, he, he is he he kind of, he kind of stopped making movies in around the late eighties. But uh, at the at the same time, he uh, there's there's something familiar about his face. He looks like a, he looks like several other American actors, and he can be he can kind of uh, be justified in thinking that he's somebody else sometimes. Yeah, uh, but uh, he had a, you know he had a he had a, a little a, a little period of time there from the late '60s through the late '80s where he was working pretty regularly. I mean, he was in Orca and you know uh, a few a few other films of particular note. So it's a uh, it's it's interesting to see him in this. I had completely forgotten he was in this. Then we should probably mention uh, the the female lead, Sabrina Siani, mm, yes, the, uh, who, the Italian actress in this, who had who a short... was the she was the lead in Atour, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which uh, is a really well, as we've said is really fun. But yeah, she's um, she's quite got quite a really good character, I think, in this. In this yeah, film. she actually uh, and, and honestly, she her character 
is threaded throughout the film and actually uh, has a great deal to do. It's uh, she gets to be a warrior woman and uh, and uh, revenge, you know, revengeful uh, lover and all of these kinds of things. But I I I didn't realize just how many movies she was in in her very short career because by the mm. late eighties, once again, she's another person who had decided that she'd had enough of acting yes. on the screen. But she, she was did in, some. Uh, oh, sorry. Go on. Oh well, no. I was just. I. I was. I was impressed. I remembered her from *Hunters of the Golden Cobra* for Antonio Margheriti, and uh, unforgettably, in uh, Lucio Fulci's *Conquest*, which in which she's you know naked the entire time. Oh, but, do you know I still haven't seen *Conquest*. I know it came out on Blu-ray as one that's on my uh, wish list. It's uh, you know, you, you kind of need to. I'm surprised uh, that someone hasn't sat you down and forced you to right. watch it because there's a. <laughs> It, it came out in the magical year of 1983 when all things were possible and nothing was psycho. Yeah. Well, actually, everything was psycho. And this was... Conquest is uh, almost indescribably strange. She's uh, in another one of those kind of uh, post-Conan films called The Throne of Fire. Do you know that yeah. one? I've seen it. I saw it years ago. My memories of it are very dim, but I do remember it. Uh, she was also in... Uh, uh, so, well, let's just say uh, some some very interesting titles that uh, I know I've seen, but I can't remember because mm. I just haven't seen. Well, like Umberto Lindsay film Daughter of the Jungle. Yeah, I'm not. Sh- I I think I've seen that. And she's in um, Enigma. Enigma. That's um, Fulci, isn't it as well? Yeah, she apparently has just a small little cameo in that. Yeah. But she she was obviously someone who she worked she worked with. Uh, Fulci uh, a couple of times in that respect. She worked with with Jess Franco on uh, White Cannibal oh. Queen uh, in uh, I guess that was in eighty. I think it was <laughs> I think it was nineteen eighty, and then uh, the uh, yeah, like I say, she was in a number of films in her in her you know roughly decade on screen, but uh, until rewatching this one, she's not someone that I thought to myself I really should pay a lot of attention mm. to. Uh, but honestly, yeah, she's she's a lot of fun. She made another Umberto Lindsay film called Black Cobra uh, in '84. I mean, you know, it's you, you can have a lot of fun checking out her filmography. Uh, and the only other actor on screen that I would point to and say we should probably say something about is uh, uh, Donald O'Brien. Uh, he uh, he he's the the bald. Uh, bad guy in charge of the bad guys in the in the final half in the in the well in the second half of the film. Yes, um, he's often credited as being an Irish film and television actor. Uh, but to be honest, I I, I I had no idea he was at, I had no idea he was Irish at all. Uh, this film actually turns out was one of the first movies that he was involved in after he re- recovered enough from uh, an accident he had uh, to uh, to get back to work, and he's. Uh, although I could not tell it because I didn't know beforehand, uh, he he was rather he was a little limited in how he could move around after oh, this right. uh, after this um, after this accident. Uh, he apparently fell. He slipped in the bathroom and hit his head, and yeah, he was in a coma for three days. This was well, in okay. uh, yeah, this was in 1980. Um, uh, paralyzed half his body. And it took him about four years to fully recover, and he never really completely got all of his mobility back. It seems, but uh, wow. okay. yeah, yeah. So this movie was actually one of the first things he worked in uh, once he could get back to work. Yeah, uh, he's and, quite unrecognizable with his shaved head as well, because a, a yeah. lot of people would 
would otherwise know him as Dr. Butcher in the yeah. Zombie Holocaust or Dr. Butcher MD, but he's got a full head of hair in that one, so not quite so recognizable. But he turns he, up in uh, this film and also in the new Gladiators yeah. for uh, Lucio Fulci. Uh, he's got a he's got a very striking look, so you can see why he would mm. want, he would he would want to be he he plays a mad scientist in Fist of Steel for Sergio Martino in '86. So yeah. you know he continued to work, but uh, I was unaware until uh, looking looking at his uh, resume uh, just the other day that he had had this uh, he had had this accident and it oh, right. diminished him over time. That was oh, yeah. a shame. Yeah, he's in the train. Is that the um... That is the film. yeah. That is the classic Frankenheimer film. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's a, such a good film. Oh, he was in so many good films early yeah. in his career. Man, Night of the Generals. Uh, oh yeah. Was, okay. Uh, and if you're like us, he, he's he's in Run Man Run, the uh, the spaghetti western, and mm. yeah, so many yeah. so many good films. I did actually just do um, about a year ago. Actually, speaking of Night of the Generals, I was on Cult Connections again. Um, talking about Night of the Generals, so there's another plug. Um, anyway, yeah, okay, loads of good people. So should we have a go at the plot? We've got about ten minutes left, so let's see what we can do. <laughs> do it. Man, so do this it. is the this is the plot in this French book translated into English, and I don't entirely agree with all of their summary, but let's see what, how far we get. In the year 2020, it's anything goes in the USA, and things go bad. Post-atomic... Again, I feel like I should be reading this in an American accent. Post-atomic <laughs> Texas has once again become a land of adventure. Our story begins with the assault of a religious community, um, which allows the director some typically Latin outbursts. A priest is crucified, a nun savagely raped, and another character... Now, I missed this bit, I think. Another character commits suicide twice. Oh, well, the, the, the uh, in the print that I've seen, which is a... A, a choppily restored, you know, a, yeah, a print that restored the all, of the, all of the violence. What we, what we actually see is this person uh, drag a, a shard of glass across yes. their throat, and they actually do it twice. But each time is a separate shot, and a, yeah. and a the idea seems to be that they're not. <laughs> It's nasty. It's nastier. It's nastier because it seems as if the the person doesn't feel like they're dying fast yeah. enough, so they cut their throat a second time. It's pretty. Yeah. It's, it's pretty. Uh, Pretty effective, but I could understand how someone coming into the film might think, well, wait a minute, we just saw that. They think it's an editing mistake in the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, fortunately, and I'm going to put fortunately in air quotes, uh, a regiment of Texas Rangers, they're calling them here, not gladiators, bare-chested and cartridge belts in evidence arrives on the scene. In the ensuing battle, Nissus, I swear they call him Nexus, Exactly. In the English dub, it does sound like Nexus. Yeah, but all the every, time. everywhere you see it written down, it's Nissus. Uh, Nexus managed to save Maida, a young woman who reveals to him the existence of a community of survivors. So that's the setup. And I just, my main problem with this is so you've got this band of um, warriors who are coming to save the day, but they deliberately stand there and wait until pretty much everybody that this bunch of Germans is attacking are dead and then they jump in to save the day I'm like what are you waiting for well one ha- one has to give them the uh, the idea that perhaps they were trying to get into place so that they could uh, they could launch their attack with mm. the, uh, the the most success but, but they uh, only they, yeah. they only managed to save one person everyone else is dead 
Yeah, it is kind of true. They're, they're not very good at their job. Well, maybe maybe we can't we shouldn't refer to them as uh, saviors, but more along the lines of vengeance takers because yeah. they're not really saving anybody. I was also very confused here. I don't know about you when the film started and the uh, people that they're attacking. We hear we hear them speaking, and I'm sure they're speaking German. And it had me frantically checking that I was watching the right language version. Um, uh, my, I, my my copy had the same my my copy uh, had the same mm. had the same little I had the same little worried expression yeah. on my face as we were watching. So it. that's like, oh my goodness. that's worth mentioning. If anyone's going to watch this, that isn't a mistake. It's just apparently they're speaking in German. Why there'd be a group of marauding rapists in Texas, a German marauding rapist in Texas in 2020? Who can say? But hey, there are larger questions about yeah. certain Radi- things in this movie. First of all. <laughs> Before we go too much further, we do have that time jump after this. Well, yeah. So she says, I know about some people just a few miles from here. I'll take you there. And then we just cut to Al Cliver wearing dungarees Uh (laughs) with a slightly bushier beard and a hard hat. And yeah, like you, you're like, wait a minute, is this before the post-apocalypse? Yeah, I would start. I Why would start is everybody thinking, getting a, a look back in time? Because we've what? gone from everybody being dressed like it's Mad Max to everybody just being dressed like it's the seventies, yeah, uh, slash eighties, and it made me think of I don't know how familiar you are with the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, but I've <laughs> not not at all. So okay, I've seen this many times. It's one of the funniest films ever made. And we're all big fans of it in my house. But um, the Bikini Bottom loses the um, the recipe to the Krabby Patty. So they can't have Krabby Patties anymore. And immediately, so SpongeBob has to go off and try and find it. But immediately the entire town turns into Mad Max post-apocalypse world. There's like a mushroom <laughs> cloud goes off over it. And then everybody is wearing leather and bullet belts and studs. And... <laughs> And then at the end, when SpongeBob comes back uh, with the with the recipe, everybody just suddenly just like whips that off, and they're back into their normal clothes. And and Squidward is just standing there, and he says, "Wait a minute, you mean we could take this stuff off the entire time?" And it made <laughs> and it just made me think of that here. They're like, "Wait, what? so they didn't have to wear all that stuff? <laughs> like the Mad Max look was just an aesthetic choice." rather than a post-apocalypse survival because apparently they've got plenty of regular clothes to go around after all i just well, i mean appara- apparently odd. it was it was a choice they didn't they didn't want yeah. to stand out and you know, know. And look like they didn't know what they were doing so you know yeah so now he works in it's basically this this is where we get to the mad max 2 part of the plot i think because they're, yeah. they're, they're they're running some kind of coal fired power plant Although what they're, the power... It's really vague. What yeah. it is some kind of plant that can generate power, therefore but electricity. Who, yeah, therefore, who are they generating it for? Is it just themselves and their little village? That would appear to be the idea, but the 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 some of the dialogue throughout the rest of the film seems to be that they're thinking that by getting this thing up and running, it would be the beginning of the ability to start having a, a you know a larger settlement, more people, uh, you know, uh, which is 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 logical and makes sense but at the same time the uh the the film is much more interested in roaming bands of violence than it is in actually delineating mm. plans for saving the society in the future uh it gives lip service to it but yeah that does seem to be the idea is this thing is uh, a way to have the future 
you know, cr- you know, ha- crawl up out of the dirt and become yeah. something better again. So, so good. like like Mad Max Two, this place suddenly comes under attack from another marauding band. But this marauding band is led by another guy with a brilliant name. They've all got good futuristic names. This one is a guy called Catch Dog. <laughs> oh yeah, so really? Catch Dog actually used to be one of the quote unquote yeah. Texas gladiators that we saw at the beginning of the so film. So he was, he yeah, was he a, was in he their was a gang. Nasty one, yeah, yeah, he was a nasty one. So Nissus kicked him out, and he formed his own gang of bikers, and um, they all turn up and trying to take the plant. But they are being backed up by this new fascist order who had decided that the way to lead the world now into the future is by becoming fascists, and he's. So Donald O'Brien, he's it, managed it to does, find... It, fascism does seem to be the fallback for yeah. almost every scumbag. Like, so, this yeah. is post-apocalypse, but just like the guys in the uh, power plant who've managed to find some normal clothes, he's managed to find <laughs> he's managed to find an old Nazi uniform somewhere. And plenty of uh, semi, uh, semi-official uh, military uniforms for his yeah. cohort of, of, of uh, shield-wielding weirdos, too. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, their soldiers have got these brilliant shields that have just, like, got a big hole cut out the middle. But it's because they've got some kind of heat shield generated. So if you shoot at them, because bullets are hot, they bounce off. Now... I don't know how nobody saw the flaw in that design earlier oh, yeah. on. Yeah, because these things do not st- do not stop spears or arrows. And no. man, like, do in they the, pay a price for that later on. In the design phase, nobody thought, well, okay, what kind of weapons do people have in the post-apocalypse world? Well, they've only got bullets, so we'll be fine. Like, yeah, and right about the time an arrow sprouts out of your left yeah. eye, you realize that there was a problem with this. Yeah, like, don't... Uh, yeah, it's really funny. So um, I don't want to say too much more. So yeah, okay. so our, so Nexus as meanwhile, so Nexus has set up a, uh, he's, he's got a life now in the year twenty twenty or possibly twenty twenty five. I don't know. We don't. Um, he's kind of in a relationship with Maida. They've got a daughter called Kezia. Yep. I think, and um, he's he's like a foreman now, and we're just in a factory. But then. Yeah, the whole place gets raided by these um, fascists and uh, catchdogs, biker gang. And it all kind of falls apart. And then we get to, um, in another time jump, we're in a saloon and there are people gambling. And then we meet cowboys and we go down a mine. And... Oh, yeah. We, we get we get heavily into uh, <laughs> everyone just staring right at the camera and going, yes. This is essentially a spaghetti western. Yeah. You need to know that. Yeah, because then we go full out uh, cowboys and Indians. To a degree, and, yeah. And um, obviously just, I mean, this is 1983, so the spaghetti western, uh, Italian spaghetti western production had, had ground almost entirely to a halt. But presumably oh, yeah, they, it's, it's they over still by had, 83. Yeah. They still had plenty of costumes in the cupboard, I guess, which is <laughs> they were able to pull it out. So, the, so that, that definitely helps here because, well, here's the thing. I mean, if we're going to pretend that this is all taking place in Texas, and they are, there is a sign at the yeah. refinery or the power plant or whatever we're going to call that place that yeah. identifies it as some place in Texas. Yeah. Uh, wait a minute. Before we go too far, I do want to point out my favorite my favorite little uh, funny by accident moment yes, in the Yes, you're film. about to say the same thing I'm thinking. 
which is there is a sign, <laughs> <laughs> well, a couple of signs actually, yes. that uh, spell out that uh, the the materials being messed with at this particular in this particular room are explosive, mm. and uh, it's explosive is spelled wrong. Yes. <laughs> it's it has an S shoved in there after the X. Yeah. Uh, now. You know a good deal more about the Italian language than I do. Would that be a common mistake for an Italian trying to trying to uh, craft something in English? Um, I don't think they use the letter X all that often. Okay. So possibly they would lean more to... I'm not actually sure what the Italian word for explosive is, uh, but I could look it up. It's not one that comes up on Duolingo very often. Well, here, the, 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 that is one of those moments where you know you're, <laughs> yeah. it's right around it's right around the time where we're shown the sign indicating that we are in Texas, and yes. then we are given visual multiple shots of these signs, giving us every indicator that either everyone in Texas cannot spell that word, or we are definitely not in Texas. It reminds me of another. There's another Italian film that. Um, has a really badly spelled song. What is that one? I think it might be in The Beyond. Isn't there a sign in The Beyond that's quite funny? I can't remember. I can't remember. That. The one that comes to mind for me is um, is in uh, Living Dead in Manchester Morgue. Uh, and I can't remember exactly what the word is, but you're actually seeing it from behind because it's uh, it's the name of an office printed on uh, glass, and so we're seeing it from behind. But even from behind, you can you can see, oh, it's misspelled. Wait, that's not yeah. it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've just looked it up, and the in Italian, explosive is esplosivio, uh, es. So yeah, ah. they don't really use X very often, so uh, that might be why they threw an S in there, just to be on the safe side. But yeah, it's pretty funny. Instead of, the, instead of checking. It just yeah. like... So, I mean, the book is um, is quite generous to the film. This film often has a is said to have a disastrous reputation, but they like it, and I think I like it too. And what did you think? My, I, I was I was willing to come in here hot and defend this movie because I was surprised. I did mm. not have a firm memory of what I thought of this movie from decades past. So when I sat down to watch it again, I honestly fully thought that I was going to sit there and think, okay, okay, this one's not one of the best in the genre. This one is, uh, it's it's what it is. But I have to admit. I really enjoyed this a lot. Mm. Um, this one, I, I, I enjoyed it more than I expected to. And I guess maybe because I had my expectations set a little lower than average, that might account for it. Yeah. But to be blunt, man, I had I had a lot of fun with this. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's definitely an R-rated. You know, it's got, it's got rape. It's got tons of violence. Uh, you, you understand what I'm saying. But yeah. I did not expect this to be the... Uh, the fully entertaining 87 minutes that it was, I honestly thought that I was going to feel like I was at times kind of trudging through this, you know, yeah. for, the, for the good of the show. But no, man, <laughs> I, I, I do now. I'm, I'm deadly serious when I say that I really hope that this one gets some kind of, you know, high definition release so that more people yeah. can be introduced to it. Because I think that don't get me wrong. It has its flaws, but yeah. at the same time, man, the pluses, I think far outweigh the minuses in it. And, and I think they were aware that it wasn't hanging together while they were shooting because there's a very useful little scene where our two main characters sit down about halfway through yeah. and have a bit of a conversation to fill us in on what the hell's going on. <laughs> yeah, like, that, that, that helps a lot, actually. <laughs> it brings the audience up to speed, fills in the gaps, and then we're ready to carry on with the action, which mm-hmm. we did, we did kind of need. 
So yeah, it, it, yeah. There's a few problems, and it doesn't. The structure is a bit all over the place. But I was never bored, which is always you know the worst. That's the that's the sign for me that films are not working. Is if you're bored, and a film like this, you wouldn't want to be bored. And I wasn't. It's quite the the action is really good. There's some mm-hmm. great stunt work. People get set on fire. Um, yeah, yeah. Those, those, those flamethrowers f- come out of nowhere too. Yeah. People flying off motorbikes left, right, and center. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of pretty darn interesting stunts. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. The some of these productions could get really ragged, and people could get hurt doing these stunts. But mm. I don't see any evidence of that. But at the same time, there's uh, there, there are action sequences that are that are well shot. It, it's it's clear that uh, Eastman was was right to bring in Joe D'Amato because, from what I understand. He did. He didn't feel like he really had the experience to handle the action sequences. But if it was Joe D'Amato handling the, handling those action sequences, he he blends together, you know, uh, all of the action pretty effectively, uh, regardless of the budget level. And you know, there's some good use of slow motion at times. There's, yeah, it's, it's pretty effectively done stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah, I like this film a lot. Um, there's just loads of yeah, loads of great elements that. Uh, hold it all together and one thing i did want to mention is the score i did i think i might have mentioned it earlier but anyway carlo maria cordio just worth mentioning i think it's got a great sort of 80s uh pop futuristic synth score but this mm-hmm. is the same the same composer who gave us things like at all the fighting eagle um <laughs> caligula end game which has got a great soundtrack iron warrior which you were just talking about yeah um yeah loads of films La Casa 4 Shocking Dark like just low he was just working in Italian exploitation the white, right the way through the 80s and 90s um, even Troll 2 so you know oh wow he did the he did he, oh I didn't yeah. know that okay okay I, I did not look that far into his what's not to listing. love <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah and okay. Shocking Dark the um, the Terminator ripoff oh Shocking Dark is such a terrible film I love yes. it it is such a bad movie yeah but uh, anyway, yeah. So it's it's really professionally, <laughs> really professionally made, slick, good-looking cast. Uh, some weird little costume, nice little costume touches, and yeah, yeah. And also, I'm, I swear I recognise some of the same bits of abandoned factories that we just saw in Bronx Warriors. And, I, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, knows, I'm imagining, maybe? I'm imagining we'll see those again in future episodes. Um, but yeah, so do you know do watch this movie too if you haven't seen it it's easily available on youtube yeah um and yeah i know some of you do want to play along at home um i which brings me to so i have been a very poor um podcast host of late because i hadn't checked any of our emails for Mm -hmm. about i think it told me i hadn't logged in for six months (laughs) oh my god really very poor so apologies we have actually had some messages um somebody asked whether we could tell them what films we're going to do which is a great idea and i don't know why i don't really ever do that so let me just quickly tell you that coming up next we've got 2019 after the fall of new york which means we're traveling back in time at least one year how sad and then we've got endgame raiders of atlantis exterminators of the year 3000 Mm mm-hmm Warriors of the Year 2072. And then to finish things off, we've got A Man Called Rage and The Final Executioner. So quite a journey there 
through the wastelands of the uh, post-apocalypse world. One quick question for you. Uh, I have to admit that uh, the last two that we're going to cover, Man Called Rage and Final Executioner, yep. are films that I don't, I, I don't think I've seen. I know that sounds crazy considering mm-hmm. how much I love this particular genre. But yeah. are any, uh, how many of this list have you put on the list simply because you you haven't seen them before and want to want to put yourself in that position? Uh, well, yeah. So I of the whole list, I'd only ever seen Tenth Victim, Bronx Warriors, End Game and Warriors of the Year 2072 before. Oh, cool. okay. So about half of them are first-time watches for me. Oh, that's so, great, yeah. because I, I really do love, I, I love I love uh, the fact that one of us can, at least one of us can come to some of these movies <laughs> as a first-time viewer. Well, you can pretty much safely rely on that being the case for most of the films we do on the podcast, because <laughs> most of the stuff I'm coming to completely new. Um, but I wanted to mention, so, yeah, that was one thing that got, we got asked about i wanted to thank some more of our um coffee uh donations we've received uh some from mike Tatino and also Uh brian brian moore so thank you so much for buying us a virtual coffee thanks Uh, to both of you very much yes and uh, anyone else wants to do that you can find the link in our show notes but or if you just go to coffee ko-fi.com and look for Wild Wild Podcast. You'll find us on there. Um, Brian Moore mentioned, he sent him in his message, I just got confirmation. This is a bit of trivia about Planet of the Vampires. I just got confirmation that Peter Martell is the uncredited Captain Sally's in Planet of the Vampires. Midway through the film, he is replaced by Massimo Rigi. No one knows why. Hmm. I don't though. There you go. So that's a random fact that probably needs more. <laughs> so Brian, get in touch again and tell us how you know that. And yeah, tell us a bit more. Yeah, it makes me uh, makes me want to dig Intriguing. out. Uh, so I Tim didn't Lucas, even Tim Lucas's Baba book to find yeah, out if there's I, any information there. Yeah, I didn't even realize that there's a character who gets replaced halfway through by somebody else i never noticed that neither did i so that's quite interesting um and emails well you know come on let's be honest man all italians look alike i mean (laughs) (laughs) um so i just also yeah wanted to mention some emails that we had we've had one which is possibly spam because it's from somebody called ilima and it just says ciao so uh ciao ilima whoever you are (laughs) (laughs) just says ciao it's kind of random. Um, Michael Rosenbaum got in touch with... Uh, this was back in December. I'm so sorry. Oh. And he said he was looking forward to our Hercules podcast. He just came across this poorly produced interview with Richard Harrison. He is everything an Italian genre film star should be in their retirement. So he sent me a YouTube link to an interview. It's like a half hour long interview with Richard Harrison former okay. Italian genre star who uh, I believe he's still I believe he's still with us lives in Malibu in a lovely villa and oh, nice. just talks for half an hour about his career in uh, in Euro cult so I've just tweeted the link out to that if anybody wants to have a look at that it could be quite interesting I'm not sure if we've done a film with Richard Harrison in yet but I'm pretty sure I've seen I've looked through his list again and like he did a lot of Euro spy films and stuff like mm-hmm. that, so I know I've seen him. Oh, if so. we keep doing this long enough, we're going to cover oh, yeah, a movie we with him. Anyway. Definitely. 
And I wanted to send an, a special um, apology to Lee Howard, who sent us a great email also back in December. And so I just wanted to quickly share that with you because he makes a few good points. Says, okay. uh, greetings, recently discovered the podcast and delighted to be in the company of fellow enthusiasts of Italian genre cinema. I'd primarily been invested in Jally for years, but had never really made any major inroads into some of the other felonies such as uh, SF Italia or Sex Comedy Italiana or even the Italian crime movies remained a stone largely left unturned for me. And I'm really glad to hear that because I, I sort of think that's what we're here to do is to promote things apart from the jelly because yeah. anyone anyone who's into cult cinema knows the jelly but there are so many other italian films to discover oh yeah there's there's too much out there to a large degree yeah and if people um in in my in my heart of hearts what i think this that a show like this can do is point some people toward something that they might not have otherwise thought about you know mm. indulging in as far as viewing yeah. is concerned and it's if we can bring some attention to it that's that's kind of been the whole reason i've i've been a podcaster for a dozen years now which is, is the idea of just trying to shed uh, some light on some of these lesser known pieces of entertainment and if that's if that's the effect we're having so much the better that's yeah, what i want to do it's, yeah. uh, it's a public service um, yeah, I mean, that's why you'll probably never hear us do a Jallo on this podcast. And it's not because I don't like them, but it's just because lots of there's there's like a million Jallo podcasts and mm-hmm. everyone else would do a much better job than me. I mean, you do a great job on the Jallos that you've done on your podcast. So, uh, well, I mean, we've, we've done a Giallo, but it, yeah. it had nothing to do with the fact that we wanted to cover a Giallo. Oh, that's true. It was OK. One is one of Luigi Cozy's best films. I back, so, I'm going to backtrack. We have done one Giallo. We may never do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it, we weren't doing it because it was a Giallo. Exactly. We were, yeah. yeah. It was, it's a, a very different reason. That's true. Yeah. Already forgotten about that one. Um, so he says, huge thanks for your efforts and the informative and welcoming discussion on each show. Have all the episodes downloaded and working my way through with zeal and enjoyment. Even, and you'll like this, even grabbed some of Rod's The Bloody Pit episodes off the back of listening to the Wild Wild podcast. Oh, well, great. I hope you enjoy them, man. There you go. Um, anyway, you fellas have inspired me to try and seek out all the movies covered in order to watch along. Now, that's a, that is a task. Um, that is. As <laughs> you release each season of the podcast, eager to learn what's still to come on the Luigi Cozzi season. Apologies, because I'm reading this so... Late. Um, he's wondering whether we might do Peplum, Spaghetti Western, or Fumetti. Uh, Fumetti definitely coming up as our next yeah. full season. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm not against you know Peplum and Spaghetti Westerns. Uh, certainly, be something we would consider. Maybe we might do a Peplum mini season, perhaps at some point. I think that would be fun to do about five of them. That'd be good. So he's mentioned that uh, he bought Matt Blake's science fiction book, which we, which you recommended to me, and which then oh. sparked off this whole podcast. So solid book. Yeah. So that uh, that chain is continuing. So he says, "So thanks for much. So uh, thanks so much for broadening my horizons. Thanks for the tip regarding the book, uh, and it was a real highlight to hear the interview with the author. Oh, good. Thank you." <laughs> he says he did try to reach out to me via letterboxed. I don't even know how you receive messages through letterboxed. So. Hmm. Again, apologies that that was just ignored, but I didn't even know you could get messages on there. Um, he was looking to try and find an English-friendly copy of Operation Moon. There you go. See, he wants to watch Operation Moon. That's how dedicated he is. He's uh, yeah, de- dedicated. <laughs> that's a word for it. Yeah. And he also wasn't able to find any of the Decameron films that we did. Um, 
but he has ordered it. So yeah, I mean, I would say to anybody, anybody who's listening, basically, if they're not available on DVD or Blu-ray, the only but we've included them on the but we've included them on the podcast. It will be because we found them either on um, something like Cinemageddon or Rare Lust. I don't think it's a. I don't think we're going to get into too much trouble for saying that. I mean, these films are long out of print or just hard to find. There are websites Very. like that that will have copies which may or may not have subtitles. So I know that's where I found the um, the Decameron uh, films that we did in that trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, Operation Moon was harder to get a decent copy. I ended up kind of editing my own one together using a subtitle file from one place and a print from another place. And Anyway, I mean, if anybody else is listening is desperate to see Operation Moon with English subtitles, do get in touch and I can, I'll happily <laughs> share it with you offline so you can oh, see now, that Oh, now you're going to be inundated with fans of yeah. Italian comedies um, looking oh, to see that, that be, rarest of rare things. We've got to stick together. I'll refrain. <laughs> so he says, uh, sign off by doffing my hat to you, kind sirs, for stoking my interest in Italian genre cinema once again reinforcing my belief that it really is the gift that keeps on giving as there are always more fascinating bonkers and or brilliant stuff out there to see ciao for now well thank you lee i would agree with all of those points yes yes indeed and i did email him back to apologize and he replied um already so he did actually find a copy of operation luna operazione luna but uh, i think his copy isn't as good as the one we've got so i might be able to share it but anyway, so he's listening to... He's trying to watch the films first, so he may not hear this recorded uh, recording of me reading out this email for a while. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it's great to, great to... Thank you so much for getting in touch. We don't get many emails, which is possibly why I just stopped checking because I just kept forgetting and we weren't getting many. So it's great to hear from people when we do. So if you would also like to share your uh, thoughts and... Um, anything at all with us really then please do get in touch it's uh simply wild wild podcast at gmail.com or twitter at the wild wild pod we're also on instagram just search for wild wild podcast and um yeah don't try and contact me on linkedin uh not linkedin you can you can try me on linkedin letterboxd don't bother because i don't know how that works really so maybe I should do a wild wild podcast list on letterboxd which I think oh. then maybe I should do that because people could then comment at the bottom and I might actually see that okay I've just now that I've said that out loud I'll have to do it it's not a bad uh, idea yeah so, yeah. so I'll, I will put together at some point a letterboxd list of every film that we've covered on the podcast that's the kind of thing people do isn't it yeah, it is. Uh, not us, but yeah, there, there are people who do that kind of thing. It's I'm true. slowly, slowly catching up with the way that podcasts are supposed to work. Uh, <laughs> it's a learn-as-you-go learn medium. I mean, it Don't takes worry. me long enough just to edit and get them out without all the extra bits. But if that helps us to grow, then that's worth it. It's great to get feedback like that from Lee or from Michael, just to know that people are out there and listening to what we're doing and that we're not just shouting into the void. So, um, yeah, thanks so much. And, hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, you could also leave us a review. I'm sorry. Now I'm just imagining us as void shouters. Yes. That's a a title. Podcasters and void shouters, yes. Um, Yeah, leave us a review. Actually, I haven't even checked that for a while, so we might have some that I haven't seen. So that'll be my next thing to do before the next episode, if anyone's left us anything on 
uh, Apple, or, uh, like iTunes or Spotify or whatever. But yeah, please leave us reviews where people can see them and that might encourage people to listen. Or tell tell your friends. I don't know. All the things. Tell that, your tell your enemies. I don't care. Yeah, tell your neighbours. Um, pass it on to your children. I don't know. Just uh, <laughs> let's find more people that need to know about these films. Yes. Anyway, that's it. I have exhausted myself with all of that promotional chat. Uh, thank you so but you, much. But you, but you did it very well. Thank you. So I, want to, I want to compliment you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Rod, anything you want to add before we finish? No, I'm just glad that people are listening to the show and enjoying it. I'm look. I'm. I. This is uh, this season is one that I've been. Re- I've really been looking forward to. Yeah. So I'm glad that everybody else is finally getting a chance to. Uh, to uh, hear us babble about these uh, often surprising post-apocalyptic films. Yeah, so we'll be back in a little while with 2019, after the fall of New York, or we could now call it 2019 before the coronavirus. Um, (laughs) True, this is true. New York fell in 2020, 2019, it was still fine. Yeah, it's interesting how these films, like some of them only set themselves very short, uh, time into the future and then other ones are like exterminators of the year 3000 let's just go, go all the way yes. uh, whereas <laughs> something like Bronx Warriors by just setting it in 1990 means they don't have to worry about the cars or the clothes or anything like that yeah. oh, I'm always I'm always remembering how um, when when uh, Escape from New York came out 1997 seemed like such a long time in yeah, the future that's it and now it's a long time, a long time ago. That's right. Yeah. Well, okay. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for all the feedback. And we will talk to you all again soon. Bye for now. Bye everyone. Hurrah. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.